0: Welcome to Food and Loathing Leftovers, where we reheat and plate up all of the deliciousness we couldn't fit into our normal episode. I'm your host, Al Mancini. Rich Johnson is mostly behind the scenes today, doing all of the hard work cobbling together the episode. By now, I'm hoping you've all listened to episode 42, which included a lot of news and interviews. Much of it coming from material we gathered at the International Pizza Expo. But we actually got so much good material during our live streams from Pizza Rock's Expo pre-party on Sunday night at the company's downtown Las Vegas location that we wanted to bring some of it to you in its entirety. And while it's not all pizza related, it's all very, very tasty. We're going to start with James Trees, the owner of Esther's Kitchen, Al Salido Posto, and Ada's, and a guy with so much class that he had a waiter deliver a couple of shots of whiskey to me and Rich at our table before he came over to join us for this interview. So, you know, if we sound a bit tipsy, that might explain something. James had a lot of news to share, including his big plans in the Arts District. And rather than try to summarize it, I'm just going to ask Rich to roll that interview. You announced some big news through the Review Journal this week, or at least the Review Journal announced some big news about you and about Esther's Kitchen.
1: I think John Curtis uh, announced some news that everyone <laughs> who's in my smaller circle already knew.
0: You know, that's what I get for not following John. So I guess I'm going to have to start following him. I missed that hey, one. I mean,
1: you know, sometimes you got to follow John, and sometimes you got to stop following John. But
0: well, in this case, you want to be following John. Look, I love John Curtis as much yeah. as anybody. But um, you know, after working <laughs> with him for many years, we take a break from each other from time to time. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. We just occasionally. As I
2: said the other day, I, sometimes I want to nominate you for a Bueller's surprise. Other days I want to bitch you, bitch slap you, Norm Clark, or <laughs> <laughs> Pete Rose to Norm Clark style. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay,
1: so,
0: Mr. Curtis, credit where credit is yes. due to my, my former colleague and a great food writer in this town. John Curtis broke the news then. I read it in the Review Journal first, and that's just because I have an affinity for the Review Journal. But you have a new, you are moving on up, as George Jefferson would say.
1: Uh, Yes, we are moving literally next door. So um, (laughs) we have the great neighbors, Bill and Bob, who've been uh, a part of the downtown scene since the early 90s when they uh, bought the property at Retro Vegas. And they are now ready to retire and so i asked them i was like well you know what do you want to see happen with the building and they're like well we want to make sure the building goes to someone who's going to take care of it and i know it's it's been a prop house since the 40s and then it became um you know it became retro in the 90s somewhere in there it was a furniture store um and now it's gonna be Esther's Kitchen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right,
1: yeah, and so Esther's Kitchen 2.0 is gonna be happening there. Um, it's a 5,000 square foot building. We're hoping to build the 3,000 square foot uh, kitchen bakery um, onto that, because I really want Now you
0: compete. already have, but, but I don't, you, you still yeah. have your space that Esther's is
2: in, For and then you have a years, new yeah. space
1: two doors down from yeah. that that you just took yeah. over. Which we originally wanted to make into an Italian grocery, but once we realized that, we couldn't because of the volume that we're that we're doing at esters that we decided to just make it a prep room and so it is a a prep room and storage area right now but we want to eventually turn it into the italian grocery store with sandwiches so we want to have the lunch space be there just grab and go sandwiches italian grocery bodega style because we don't have anything like a grocery store downtown, especially in the arts district. But what we do have is we have a great wine shop, a great beer shop, an amazing dessert shop right across the street. Uh, I've been known to bake some bread, yeah. right? Oh yeah, <laughs> right. And, and so, and then if we do a sandwich shop and then the Italian grocery, well, then guess what? You have almost the make I mean if we can get a cool butcher shop to move downtown. That would just really round rocky. out the whole now, the whole thing, right? The other thing
2: we don't have much in downtown or the entire valley yeah. is very many French bistros.
1: Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> so so with the sweet lead-in, Rich, um, <laughs> well, so my my first places I've ever worked at were were French. Like when, when I got out of culinary mm-hmm. school I worked for La Bernardin, I worked for Eric Repair. And I miss the simplicity of really well-executed French food. Um, I mean, we lost Andre's about what? 20 years ago from downtown? Yeah. Right? I, and I think well, it's no, time. actually,
0: no. Was it that long? No, it can't be that long that <laughs> yeah. it closed downtown. I've only been in town 20 years. I, Maybe uh, like five years ago no they closed. it. No. It Seems like no, it. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no.
1: There, there were already, uh, there was already movie theater seats in Andres when I went to go walk <laughs> it uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I don't know what year that uh, Andres downtown closed. I think if we look it up, it's got to be, it has to be pre 2010, easily, right? And we need that kind of restaurant downtown. We need something that's a little more hip, a little more um, classic, but modern. I like to think of like the things that I'm thinking of in my head are like dirty French in New York, right? Uh, Petit Trois in LA would be another one. So this is
2: a a, a, a fine dining situation as opposed to an everyday walk-on-in bistro thing. I
1: don't think people think of French food as everyday walk-in food. Uh, Unless you're in Paris. But well, well, even okay. then, I mean, cafes, yeah. sure. Well, but, yeah. Let me ask I the mean, question then. Okay. A dinner the restaurant. All
0: right. I, I, to, to go where I think yeah. Rich is trying to go, we have a lot of French bakeries and breakfast yes. shops around the valley. Yes, we do. Right? And then there's that other level up, which is yeah. still French casual, but it's, it's brasserie casual. And it could be anywhere from Bordeaux brasserie. To um, Monambi Gabi or no. So right. where are you between those two? So levels? I think
1: we're we're our, um, we're between Monambi Gabi and Bardo is where we wanna hit. Okay. I don't want to do anything like what cewa and Robichon. Right. And, but yet not as casual as partage. say like a
0: burgundy or a brie cafe breeze it's not just a no, no, breakfast no. and it's, yeah, sandwich it's kind not. of place. in fact we're only right.
1: we're only doing dinner and we're going to focus on and things pastries. like yeah no we're not no uh, yeah. we're not doing brunch cuz i have a little restaurant called Esther's that we want to do uh brunch <laughs> <Yeah>. at, right? <laughs> right Right, have heard of it right. Right. So 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 the idea is that we're going to capture a larger audience at Esther's, and then this is going to be kind of like a jewel for downtown. We're going to focus on plots de Mer. we're going to focus on beautiful Dover soul. I don't know where you can in downtown. I don't know if you can even get, you know, a steak frites anywhere that's like really authentic i know that justin's doing something really amazing with uh with his tasmanian uh wagyu program at main street provisions and that grass-fed beef has its own flavor and its own rusticity not really what i'm going for i wanted to use something a little cleaner and a little more i was going to say
0: a french has more refined than what they're doing at main street provisions which has more of a rustic take on it and
1: i think it has a lot more southern american like south american roots like southern american roots like georgia alabama Mm -hmm. kind of like vibe along with the slo vibe that uh chef justin brings um and i think that's an amazing thing like that louisiana to like florida before you see a yeah. mouse you know kind of like vibe right i think that's what he does i think we're doing modern like modern french uh modern french gastronomy or gastronomy the, the the idea is this is like where do people my age eat in paris because they don't eat where the old, like, I, I love John and I loved his trip. I, lo- I watched religiously his trip to Paris yeah, yeah, and watched him eat in all these restaurants where there was not a fuck, where he was the youngest motherfucker <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the building. Yeah, yeah, And I'm like, I'm like, come on, man. Where, where, oh, no. do, the, where do the people like me in Paris eat? And right. those people are the place that want People with good taste them.
0: and yeah. who aren't afraid to spend money, but who right.
1: just who want to be young yeah. or at least exactly reasonably and, aged and, and what does that food feel like and what does the room feel like and what does the food taste like and like what is the wine list really because it's not all garage east wine natural like it's not yeah. all that it's something else. And I'm going to go find it. And I'm going to like, so I have my friend, uh, my wife. So waterfall. a
0: lot of trips in your future to France as research?
1: Go, going to Paris in June, for sure. Probably July and August. And then most likely September, uh, I'm planning a trip with Mark Vetri and Luke Palladino to Northern Italy. So yeah. baby. Yeah. Man. And Steve Sampson from Rosso Blues probably going to come with us. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll be carrying a lot of bags on that trip. <laughs> I, I will definitely yeah. be the, uh, the young buck.
2: Well, well, when it comes you know? to this new place, you roast roast me a chicken, give me a steak yep. fritz, and yep. I'll be your friend forever.
1: One hundred percent, and that's and that's the same way. Like I said, you can't do anything. Like at Esther's, if the Caesar salad and the spaghetti and meatballs were not outstanding, and the cacio pepe, we're not doing anything else. Yeah. Until we right. nail that, and now after four and a half years. We just took off the Cacio Pepe from the dinner menu. You know, now that you can get it at the Cheesecake Factory, I'm like, all right, let's get rid of it.
0: (laughs) So you pretty much you brought it to a level of mainstream.
1: um, I don't know (laughs) exploitation that you're okay with it now. One of my great friends, uh, who's a chef for the Patina Group, um, he told me one time, and he kind of pulled me aside, and me and Walter was there and he says, you know what the difference is between us and everybody else? Everyone else follows the trends and we get to make the trends. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's really cool and we'll keep doing that. And here's the thing is, we're going to take some swings and we're going to miss and we know that, right? Right. When we were doing kill salads in 2007, (laughs) everyone thought we were crazy, right? And I'll show you the picture, it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. And like, we're like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. People are totally going <laughs> to dig this plant that so no one you wants are
0: to eat. be you are to be blamed for the kale explosion? I
1: would say between, I'd say like the, the, the high-end restaurants refining a product that no one wanted to touch is exactly what fine dining is for. I think, I think, I think the higher levels of dining, I think people like Brian Howard drive that, right? Like he's doing lamb necks. Well, we're doing whole goats. Right? right? I mean, like we're using proteins that other restaurants are afraid to touch, they're afraid to use, that they're afraid they might alienate a customer with, and we're over here doing the exact opposite, making it super approachable, fun for someone to try something that they've never had before, and introduce a new protein into the market, which then, unfortunately, raises the price. When I worked at La Berna Den, we started using this little fish called golden tilefish. <laughs> and this golden tilefish, we, I remember talking to Eric specifically about this. He's like, "I contracted the price for two years at two dollars a pound."
2: Whoa!
1: Yeah, that's a like, markup, baby. Do you want to know why? He's like, "As soon as, as soon we as put he it started on the menu, making it, yeah, every chef in New York City was going to start buying it, and the price was going to skyrocket." Right. And he was 100% right. It was, like, that and the skate. Like, I mean, like, when was the last time you had oh. A, a, oh, yeah. a skate Grenoble, Like You know, I Classic can remember, like,
0: thing. all the way back to the the early 80s when my mom would buy monkfish, right. and it was, like, the poor man's lobster, my mom used to call yeah. it, right? Yeah. And, then, yep. and then over the years, I saw things like skate, as you're mentioning, uh-huh. and all of these fish or many ingredients that just, you know, nobody wanted them. They were waste product. And all you need is one great chef. But that is the... At least, as Mario Batali has said to me, yeah, I'm name dropping, I don't give a shit. (laughs) As Mario said, that is really what Italian cuisine was all about, is the kitchen of poverty, of 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 building on using every piece or every scrap that you can because it was built out of the grandmothers who only had maybe one pig. So they were, when they slaughtered it, they used the snout, they used the hooves, they used everything, right?
1: So like one of the things, so uh, in Rome, they call that the, the fifth primal. And in Butcher's term, it's called the pluck. The pluck is everything from the throat to the bottom, right? And so you get all of that. You get uh, They take out the, the actual intestines. Like the goat, we actually we use the heart. We use the kidneys. We use the liver, right? And then we use every piece that's on that pluck. And that's what we use to make pates and terrines and esters. And we do that for VIPs, and we do it for specials, and we do it for stuff like that. No one really gets that. Like, the other day, I made an amazing goat pate, and I just set it up to Ada's, right? <laughs> and I was like, yo, well, you guys, put this on toast. People will dig it. You know, you know, it's so
0: funny that you say that, because I'm sure you saw, I know you saw, you yeah, commented absolutely. on my, my post so about um Ada's the other day. I go into Ada's and I'm like this is where James gets to really experiment and where Jackson gets to experiment and that's where I see the the dishes that look like they remind me of Brian Howard's restaurant or of um of Main right. Street Provisions right? right because I think things tend to be more familiar at your Italian restaurants than they are over at Ada's and typically it, it has to
1: be it has to be I mean like we're we're doing 2500 covers at uh, a week at Oscito and Ada's or sorry, sorry Ada's and I'll tell you like those restaurants crank. They crank covers. They crank, and people don't need familiarity. And they are the they are the quintessential neighborhood restaurant for their neighborhoods. That was our goal with that, right? Right. Ada's was a place that we've always kind of like been like. It was never a winner. It really wasn't. Like it was like for, for I'll give this up to Jeff Klein. He stuck with it when it was not doing well, and and he was paying well, yeah. the cost to make this happen, right? And I'll tell you right now. It was hard for me to be a part of that and hard for me to watch. So when we got to the COVID part and we shut it down, I was like, please let me reconcept this restaurant. Let me make it exactly what it should be for this market. And what we said is like, I need an amazing wine person. And originally that was going to be Liz DeVar, right? Who's now at Harlow. Right? Yeah,
0: I've known Liz forever.
1: Right? She's Liz and amazing. Henry are amazing. And their Italian wine knowledge is through the fucking roof. Through the roof. Excuse me. Right. Um, and, and I'll tell you, like, but then I met Kat. And Liz kind of went to go do the real estate thing. And, and, and as COVID went, people evolved. But I told Jackson. I was like, Jackson, what are you doing? He's like, I'm sitting on my couch playing video games. It's like, <laughs> do you want to do like a really cool restaurant where you get to do some really fun stuff? And we're going to challenge each other and have a lot of fun. And it's just going to be you, one cook, and one dishwasher. And that's what it is. Wow. I, I mean, like really, like what you have there is you have the real foundation of what those great Paris bistros are, right? right? And, and what, what he's doing is he's cooking food that he wants to cook. And he's making uh, a statement with that restaurant. And here's the coolest thing that no one would ever expect. Summerlin is responding in an amazing way to Ada's, right? <laughs> yeah. No, like, this is like, I mean, we saw a View Wine Bar. We saw a bunch of things come through and right. not work. But for the first time, Ada's is working. Ada's is a profitable business. And on top of it, we have two of the most fun, passionate people in Katherine Kat- Lilly the cat the wine goddess yeah and and jackson and then of course you know that cheeseburger is all mick
0: right that cheeseburger it was (laughs) so funny because i was raving about how ada's is the experimental place and it's the sexy spot and it's the it's the out there place and it's the dgaf place and of course i ate a smash burger while i was there oh man and it also fucking crushed it right yeah (laughs) and that's
1: the thing it's like so so like i brought it up and i was like this is probably five five months ago now i talked. i went to to jackson i was like all right i want to put a burger on the menu and he's like he's like we've been talking about it and i was like all right cool what have you guys been thinking about and he's like all right mick is obsessed with white trash cheeseburgers yeah. and i'm like because for for me like i go to a fancy wine bar i eat all the fancy food three glasses of wine later what do i want all i want is a cheeseburger yeah. Right? All that tannin, all that, all that on your palate. All you really want is fat, grease, happiness. Yeah. Queso Americano, the best. Mm-hmm. Right?
2: Yes. I yeah. know
1: Rich's is, Rich is white trashiness. American-style <laughs> cheese food product. To top, yeah. Right? And, and that's what we built that burger around. And it's all Jackson and Mick. It's all them. I just, like, I provide the buns from from Esther's, and I'm just like,
2: you guys, yeah. do, do the devil's yeah. work with that, please. All right. In summary. Yes. Let's review what's happening to esther's what's going into esther's right. no wait what you said 20 well, minutes ago do it in a minute in yeah. in,
1: t- in 10 seconds here you go esther's is moving next door we're making a french bistro we're going to open the italian grocery and Ada's rocks
0: and you're going to own the oh. entire block down there <laughs> practically
2: you will finally be the mayor of main you street you will be the official California. mayor of- we're yeah.
1: we are so lucky to be where we're at and to be buying the property to, for a chef to own his own bricks, there's very few yeah. chefs in the city who own their own bricks, and I know it's a massive commitment, and it will take every single ounce of our being in order to make it special. I am looking for a chef for my French Bistro. For the next year, I will be interviewing and finding people to find the right team to build there, because I have learned one thing. Without the right team, you cannot do anything. Right. It doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how hard the team behind me works. Without the right team in the restaurant taking ownership, doing cool shit every day, like Jackson Cat, nothing works.
0: What's oh. the timeline down there in the Arts District? I
1: mean, it's probably like a year, year and a half. Like, let's be honest. How far till? How long till the move?
0: The Esters? Like a year, like, year, year and, year, and half. year and a half. Okay, like, okay. Yeah, I mean,
1: like. So will it the, all happen
0: simultaneously, or? <laughs> so, so
1: the idea is we'll probably close Esters. We'll move in two days. And then we'll open Esters, And then we'll rebrand and redo uh, the original Esther's space. We're going to use Craig Palacios from uh, from Bunnyfish. And we're going to have that all dialed in within, like, two or three weeks, and then start right back up again. Wow.
0: Boom. OK. Uh, now, look, we're here at the Pizza Expo pre-party. So I got to talk to you yeah. about pizza a little bit, man. Um, first. How do you feel about the Pizza Expo seemingly back in a much bigger, much more social way than the one that we had in the fall, which was nice. It was nice to have it back. Yeah. But I felt like that was more people just kind of reconnecting and like a little trepidation, a little seeing people from a distance, waving to them instead of giving them a big hug. I feel like right now we're in the big hug phase, right?
1: This is a big hug. uh, This is a big, big hug phase for sure. All of these guys are around here. They haven't seen each other for two or three years. They've been walled up. They've been delivering pizzas for two years. Like, think about that. Like, seven yeah. days a week, COVID. The only people who didn't get a break are all these amazing people. That's in this what group. I was
0: wondering. That's what yeah. I wanted to ask a lot of these people about, because yeah. I'm sure their challenges during COVID were very different than the other. And I'm not claiming they were not challenged. I'm just saying a very different type of challenge that the pizza world faced. The
1: thing you want to talk to them about is their supply chain issues. Oh, yeah. It's try to get a freaking pizza box a pizza box well where do you think all those things came from (laughs) over there (laughs) so like getting a pizza box getting cheese delivered getting getting pepperoni i i know pizza places that couldn't get pepperoni for five months
0: yeah i did a story when i was with the review journal about how Vinny said like he was just gonna eat it himself personally on the price of a pepperoni pizza because if he had upped the price to what it was, nobody would ever buy a pizza from him again. Exactly,
1: exactly. You're just hoping for a mushroom pie to come in the door. <laughs> You're like, anyone want a vegetarian? Right. No. And, and I'll tell you, like that was something that we all as restaurateurs went through, but when it comes to someone who did not stop working like the pizza industry, and that's what this is, it's a bunch of craftsmen, but it's an industry. These guys from the cheesemakers at Galbani and Grande to the pepperoni producers, the the, uh, curated meats like Elevation, those guys who really, really worked their butt off to keep their businesses alive over the last two years. This is them giving each other high fives, and I'm here to support, obviously, Chris and Michael Veknin and my buddy Justin Ford, who's out here making pizzas, and obviously Tony, who's just... The mayor. Yeah. I, he's the Godfather. <laughs> I don't know if he's the mayor, president, the CEO, <laughs> the CEO, whatever he is. Of yeah. Pizza
2: Inc. Yeah. Pizza
1: Inc. He is Pizza Inc. <laughs>
2: yeah. There's Marvel yeah. Universe. There's the Pizza Universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be the Nick Fury of the of the, of the Marvel Universe and Pizza <laughs> Agent Land.
2: Agent of Pizza. Nice. Yeah.
1: So well, cool, I, I'd say like these guys are all super important. You have amazing uh, makers from all around the country here, and the last person you should be talking to right now is me.
0: For those of you who wanted a bit more pizza talk in our Pizza Leftovers episode, we have you covered in a big way with our next couple of guests. First up, our host for this party, Pizza Rock owner Tony Gemignani, chatting about how the pizza game has changed over the years. From the international competition world to the Las Vegas pizza scene and how the pizza world fared during COVID. James Trees and I were trying to figure out whether you're like the Godfather, the whatever of the pizza world. You're just kind of like the the king of the pizza world, really. I, I mean, just love it, man. It's has anybody years. does anybody have more world championships than you?
3: I don't think so. At least <laughs> maybe not in the U.S. <laughs> but, uh, right. has yeah, been 30 years, you know. I, I kind of like in the pizza industry, you know, back in the competition days. You know, I was one of the young guys back in the day. I mean, even even you know Metro and John Arena, he had guys that were there even before me, but. You know, there was a time that it faded, especially in Vegas, and nobody really competed anymore in the U.S. circuit. So I ended up going to Italy, and I ended up looking at Naples for competing, and then, you know, me and my team brought back the competitions in Vegas, and now they're bigger than ever. I mean, the World Championships in Vegas are are almost as big as Italy.
0: Yeah, and, okay, so let me ask you, you know, because it's kind of funny. In the old days, in the World Series of Poker... Same guys, always at the final table. You know, as they say in rounders, it was a little exaggerated, to be honest. It wasn't always the same exact guys. But in the old days, the big guys were always the big players. Then it blew up, and now you go to World Series of Poker, final table, it's a bunch of newcomers, right? Yeah, you right? don't
3: even know who they are, right? Yeah. Yeah, Is yeah. the
0: pizza world that way? Like, in your day, when you were just the Mac Daddy, ran away with every freaking championship everywhere in any continent... Um, is it tougher now for people to break through because it's sort of exploded? Or are the same five or six guys at the final table of the pizza competition every time? And, yeah. and by the way, I say guys, but I yeah. mean men and women. Yeah, no, totally. Because it's,
3: yes. You know, is it saturated more? Is it diluted? Um, you know, is it easy to find on you know, Instagram or go on YouTube now and Google it and really be able to see how maybe a Detroit's made or a grandma's pushed out and stuff like that? So there is way more access than there ever was from acrobatics the guys make it the biggest I mean you could slow motion I could see a guy go across their shoulders and through their legs oh that's how he does it so (laughs) I mean when you think of like that Tony Hawk back in the day when you know it it was just you know this guy broke loose this guy did his thing and or this guy made a pie I mean you it's just so in front of you now so yeah is is it different now competing do you see a lot of up-and-comers is there kind of a guy that's really good at social media and all of a sudden he's this social media dandy and he's, you know, great overnight. It's different. Yeah. It's interesting the, how it's evolved, but it's all for the better of pizza, you know? I mean, it's all for good. Yeah. Well, that's, I
0: guess, th- there's a difference though there between that and um, and Tony Hawk, right, in the skateboard mm-hmm. world, for example, is at the end of the day, you guys all have to go back to wherever your shop is and yeah. you still got to put good food in front of people at an affordable price, right? Yeah. And, That's what makes the elite of the pizza world very different from the elite of the um, French or Italian fine dining world, right? Yeah. Because um, you've got some amazing restaurants, obviously several here in Las Vegas, and we're in one, but even in in San Francisco, I know it can be very hard to get into your restaurant in San Francisco, and I might have to wait in line. Well, I never did. No. You're you're (laughs) kind (laughs) to me. This guy will call me. People might have to wait in line, but that being said, you're still producing food for the people you're not yeah. producing food that's only for the one percenters of the world. Yeah right? not at
3: all. You, you always have to stay relevant. You know I always said you know diversity was important back in the day you had your New Yorkers that loved what they did. Uh, Chicagoans they, they, nobody liked each other in the pizza world just like sports right but now you see oh, like somebody will have like five styles like we, we're the ones that have multiple ovens multiple styles and I celebrated pizza so yeah. For me, you know, always having diversity, always being relevant. I mean, you can become old really fast in the the restaurant industry. And you know this by just seeing guys that win Michelin awards and all of a sudden they don't have their restaurant in a couple years. So being relevant, having options, the the consumer is so smart, much smarter than they were. They can Instagram something about, oh, that's Detroit style. I've never even heard of it. I see that. Where can I find it in my area? you know now if you're not diverse and you're just maybe doing one thing it's cool but there's just so much more out there i mean i always loved it and pizza was very very territorial
2: let me ask you about pizza in vegas because i'm still a relative newcomer been here about three years and yeah there's a pizza hut down the street for me and yeah there's a domino's down the street for me but when i come here when i go to pop-up, when I go to Good Pie, and I go to Evil Pie, all these places, it just seems like per capita, the amount of quality pizza in this valley is higher than maybe even a place like New York, because there's a zillion places, but there's a zillion people, too.
3: Yeah, when I saw Vegas, I've been coming to Expo for, um, well, I've been in business for 30 years, so about 25 years. When I used to come into Vegas, you know, other than Metro, honestly, there, there weren't a lot of places, there weren't a lot of options. And no. you'd come downtown and be like, oh my God, what's what's on Fremont? Yeah. Yeah. So there were bad knockoffs of New good York pizza, Street pizza. to Las Vegas. <laughs> when we came in before the Evil and the Good Pies, a lot of them out there, they're making amazing pizzas, there wasn't a lot of options. And you think Vegas? I mean, Vegas is like, restaurant destination chef destination when I told chefs, Michael Mina guys that were like saying hey I'm I'm looking to come down by Fremont Street they'd be like, what really <laughs> yeah. what, where well it's kind of off Fremont Street it's across from the you know a Lady Luck it's an old <laughs> yeah. celebrities building I mean it's been vacant for 30 years but man there's kind of a neighborhood here I can go to the left of me over here and go to some really cool bars and they'll be like oh welcome to the neighborhood you know like in Vegas you really get that Oh, so yeah. for me being the chef front uh, San Francisco chef saying it yeah I'm gonna open up a pizza place this is years ago in Vegas and it's going to be not in a big casino or hotel and like strip. are you yeah. are you nuts like really yeah. and this is one of the busiest places I think that's probably pizzerias in, in Vegas but we love downtown we knew that there were certain things that were missing back then in Vegas. Uh, grandma style Detroit styles tavern style there are a lot of pizzas that were, didn't really exist out here yeah. and uh, there was a need for good pizza now the renaissance is here that's you mentioned great places like pop up see Mike makes amazing pizzas over there and uh, it's just we're just excited to be here with everyone it's a, there's a big community here yeah. uh, much yeah. bigger I think almost in New York in a way New York was it's kind of getting together you see Baluchi <laughs> and some guys getting together but more but I would say there, there's definitely, the, if you look at what we do here, it, it, there's a, somewhat yeah. of a camaraderie in Vegas with pizza makers. Well, well Vegas, has always,
0: Vegas has always had that rising tide raises all boats mentality. And I think that applies to the pizza world as well.
2: Al and I were and, working together in New York in the late 90s in the middle of the Ray Wars, I want to call it. Oh, there's yeah. Rays. There's famous Rays. There's yeah. famous original Rays. <laughs> yeah. There's all those other fuckers are not Rays. I'm Rays. This, this, the competition was. Yeah, it was nasty.
3: It was. It was very territorial too. boroughs and they hated each other. It's a little different now. But Vegas, as soon as that scene came up and it came up and running. I'll tell you right now, a lot of guys are helping each other out. I mean, even like uh, Pop Up came to me today and said, "I want to do your thin." You know, the the tavern you do here, I love it. I said, "Just let's go in the kitchen and we'll make it." (laughs) Like it's like. So, let me ask you this, Chef. I've always credited the recent
0: Vegas pizza renaissance with the fact that we have so many expatriates, and they all came from their hometowns, and for many years that was really hard on Vegas pizza because there was not a Vegas native style. But in the end, we were very fortunate because the people from the best from every city were able to come here and bring the best of that city. And because there was not a native style they were fighting against, I think that helped us develop the variety. But you see the national scene. Yeah. Now that we are in a world of so much pizza television, food television, et
3: cetera, are other cities more open to a diverse group of styles? Oh, for these sure. Days? I mean, you think there's a lot of transplants here. So you figure like, OK, I'm going to do this style and they'll appreciate it. So when you look at Denver right now, Portland, you look at areas like Atlanta, I mean, yeah, for sure. Seattle, a lot of different styles. I mean, you look at US in its entirety, there's multiple styles going on all over. Detroit can make it in New York. Chicago Deep Dish can make it in New York, where you would say Deep Dish in New York, it'll... It, you it used to have to go to Pizzeria like, Uno, and there was one on yeah. 6th Avenue. Yeah. I remember it. I would well, drive in from there's New a Jersey. Co- yeah. a couple guys there that are doing extremely well. I mean, just look at Lions, Tigers, and Squares, or Emmys. Some of them, like, you know, I mean, they're killing it in New York, where you would say there's no way in hell that that place would ever make it. And they're like I got lines down the street so you know the the, the eater is different now they want options they want diversity I can't tell you much more than that and you just kind of see it here I mean I mean just people love it I got guys that are East Coasters here trying Chicago Tavern they said I never would want to say this that I love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because they want to say they hate it but yeah no,
0: <laughs> I know you have a party to get back to so I'm just going to ask you one question and it's kind of a loaded one I know you could go on forever but coming out of the pandemic the pizza world James Trees and I were just discussing this the pizza world had a unique set of problems during the pandemic because unlike everybody else who was just closed down couldn't operate there was almost additional pressure because everybody was staying home and they were ordering pizza right that's you this was an industry that was geared towards the takeout model that you had always that that, we, that was now being forced on us. So, what were the unique challenges facing the pizza world that were different than the challenges facing the other restaurants?
3: Well, I'll tell you that everyone had challenges. The challenges of 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 some, not not necessarily me, but the ones that were legacy restaurants had trouble you know, no platforms, no social media, didn't really care, didn't care about a website, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose and they need to be on DoorDash and and have that. So pizza was almost COVID-proof, unless you were a multi, you know, big restaurant, which was tough for us, that didn't deliver and didn't have to go, which I've always been to go, delivery, catering, and dining. If you didn't have those or you were just like a Neapolitan concept, you came in, you ate and you didn't do delivery and hell no, I'll never take it to go. All of a sudden you're a restaurant that was like, holy shit, (laughs) what do I do? And you were doing deals like 30% to DoorDash when you could have had a good 15 or 20 if you would have been there before. So I was lucky enough to kind of. Be in that arena. I I wasn't a chef that would be all, you're only going to eat my pie here, I'll never sell it to go. A lot of guys are like that. A lot of Michelin star chefs had restaurants that were like, no, we're not going to give you a package to go, you can't do that. And then they're like, Holy shit, what do I do? I don't even, you know, so <laughs> it was interesting that pizza was almost COVID proof. We, we, a lot of places did extremely well, actually. Um, the big box restaurants, did I, I mean, did Pizza Rock get beat up? For sure. Did we, I mean, were we down millions? We were down millions. Yeah. Because There's 200 and something seats that we couldn't fill for a very long time. You were
0: also someone who said, I don't care what the government says I can open, I'm gonna wait until I feel safe for my customers. For sure, we wanted to feel
3: safe for our customers and our staff, our staff especially. I mean, we were through the grind in the middle of it and it was tough. I mean, as an owner operator, people are looking at you, the news is on, Next day they come in for work, what do we do? You're waiting for the health department to come in to give you some regulatory sanctions. You're like, okay, so can I do this? Can I do that? What can we do? What can't we do? We're getting beat up at the door because somebody's saying, I don't want to wear a mask. I'm from this state. You can't make me do it. So as an owner, you want to know the answers. You want to make the initiative. You want to, you know, you want to just fix it. When you can't fix it as an owner and you're just you wanted to just go away. It's 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 a bad burn, and uh, I think the guys out there that we had a pivot to doing specials, wine for a dime, family specials, anything we could do, stuff I was doing 30 years ago. That I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing it. You had a grind. You need to do, it. and I and, and that's what it was. I mean, it was a very dark time. Yeah. Um, so. And I think that
0: that's part of the um, the celebration, the celebratory feeling in this room right now is. You know, because at the last Pizza Expo, I felt like people were happy to reconnect, but they weren't really celebrating, right? Yeah. But now people seem to be celebrating.
3: Oh, yeah. People are really celebrating. So it, it's exciting times. It's uh, it was a little scary there for a while, but no, I, I'm just happy that we're all here.
0: Thanks again to Tony, not only for hosting us at his party, but for always being such a great supporter of Las Vegas, the pizza world, and my work. Next up, we have some local pizza royalty, Chris Decker of Metro Pizza, sharing his thoughts on what the Pizza Expo is all about. This is the second or third time I've been to Tony's kickoff party here at Pizza Rock. I don't know if he's been doing it since Pizza Rock opened or whatever, but within the broad spectrum of what goes on this week among the
4: community, what's this particular party all about? I mean, this is all the hugs and kisses and so happy to see everybody after all this time. You know, um... We just had the expo in August, but uh, I mean, it's probably a third of what it is now, you know, today. I mean, there's so many people here. Uh, This was a nice, uh, it was nice to see everybody. It's It's a great group. Yeah,
0: and you know, I've been saying in every interview so far that even as an outsider, to me, the August Expo. It felt like a lot of fun, but it felt more like people kind of reconnecting with each other, and they were really happy to see each other. But it never was like you know the full party, right? It was more of a of a waving to each other from a dis- distance and being glad to make the connection. But this is the big sloppy hug and wet this kiss kind of yeah. you know event, right? I,
4: I think we're uh, we're finally back. This feels like you know it feels like we're back. You know.
0: Cool. So um.
4: What goes on at Pizza Expo, for those who have never been? I mean, there's competitions. There's a, a lot of learning. You know, there's a ton of seminars. So if you ever get the chance to, to go sit in, especially Tony's demos, are, you'll learn so much. You know, I sat in on his Sicilian demo uh, last time because I just want to learn more you know and anything anytime he talks uh, I always make sure to have my ears wide open so uh, I'm lucky enough to do the demo uh, with John and Tony this uh, week so I'll be sure to really keep on listening and learning as much as I can and I think that's why everyone comes here they just want to be a part of this community if you're uh, a pizza maker this is a place to be yeah.
0: It was interesting um I posted a photo of some pizza within the past week or so that just didn't come out right in my opinion right and i I didn't mention where it was from because i'm not there to call people out but it was the sicilian which you do so fucking well like your sicilians in my opinion i look at one of yours or john's and either one a metro sicilian you look at it and you think it's gonna be so heavy and yet it's just light as air right and yet you were so gracious when you saw this picture because it obviously hadn't come out right but you were like yeah, everybody does it their own style everybody does it their own way Yeah. so when you talk about the seminars at um, at these events is it about teaching people the right way to do things or is it just about t- about teaching people I don't know the way to blend the colors on the palette so they can paint however they like to paint
4: sure I think it's you know Tony, of course, in his demos, I know for sure, gives you, like, guidelines and tells you how he does it. That's what makes the world go round, though, right? Everyone has their own way of doing everything. I could tell you exactly, and I tell everyone that calls me how to do our Sicilian. I go through and I FaceTime with people step by step by step. And then they'll call me a week later and say, uh, X, Y, and Z happened, and why did this happen? I said, well, explain the process to me. They'll do it, and they did the complete opposite of what I <laughs> fucking told. Uh, can I, I, uh, you can what say I, fuck okay. you. Uh, yeah. what I to, and I'm like... We encourage it. <laughs> I'm like, why... If you were going to do whatever you want anyway... Right. Just... Do Why'd you, you call want. me? Yeah, yeah. So, it's like. But no, that's the beauty. Funny. Of it. I know people who like
0: to get creative. Like they read a recipe and then they get creative with it. Yeah,
4: which is awesome. By all means, you should do that. But then don't be pissed off yeah. when They're it does the They're like, well, why did this happen? Thing. I'm like, "Well, you didn't do what I told you." <laughs> yeah. And not like I'm in the authority on it. Trust me, I'm not. I'm. I learn every day. But uh, at least if you're gonna ask me, at least try it th- that way. And then yeah. you know, hopefully, <laughs> you get some you know a better result than what you were doing. You know, but that that's uh, I think what these are about You're just going, you, just going—you kind of get a little guidance, a little more guidance, and you know, people are—at least from here, this explorer—at least from all over the country. I don't know how many uh, you know people have traveled out of the country here, but. You get a chance to, to talk with Tony one-on-one. You get a talk, chance to talk to John and, and Will Grant and Lee Hunzinger and all of these amazing pizzaiolos from around the country, and they're all in one place for one week at a time. I mean, your head spins at the end, you know? Let, let me
0: ask you, are Pizzaiolas more modest than chefs? Because, look... I have a lot of very, very talented chef friends, and they're more arrogant than the rock stars I used to hang out with. Yeah, and, I, and they have every right to be. They're very talented, but it strikes me that Pete Tend to be a little more humble, maybe because they're making something that's so accessible to everybody. Yeah,
4: I think that that's part of it. And uh, you know, you could tell everybody in here really genuinely likes each other, and we're—I we, don't think we view each other as competitors or anything like that. Except you have a big competition or several of them. Yeah, but you know, you're—you're—at least for me, I can speak for myself when I say I'm rooting for everybody. You know, I—I I, I wish we all could win. To be honest with you. It would, I mean, and I know that's that's not how the world operates, but yeah. you know, just, to, just to get out there and compete and do it and be along with your peers, is it's a really cool experience, you know. Do you have anything planned for
0: competitions this
4: week? Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, I'm just going to do our Sicilian. You're um, just
0: going to do your straight-up Sicilian that I, we can all get any day of the week? Yeah. Because that's you, how
4: fucking good it is. Well, I... I think about it a lot in every competition. I thought about how how I could do this, that, or the other. And I'm like, anytime someone comes to see me, or they come from out of town or whatever, I always give them our pepperoni Sicilian. It's like our calling card. So I'm like, I'm going to do that. I know it's a decent pizza. And we'll see how it goes, you know? I I
0: think it's more than a decent pizza. Rich, you brought one of those Sicilians home at the time that we recorded at Metro. And I don't know if Chris had made that one when we recorded with John Arena and James Trees last summer, yeah. Um, but what I remember was, that was the classic pizza of a metro Sicilian, which again, it looks so big. And it then does. you pick it up, and it's almost like one of those deals where you throw it over your head because yeah. you use too much muscle to pick it up because you think it's because it's just so freaking light. Man.
2: And it's good reheated, and it's good cold. Yeah, it's, I had it all three ways. Yeah, I tell people <laughs> it's actually
4: better the second day. Like if you come in and get the junior, the half one, I always I just give you the large because I don't want you to eat the, it, <laughs> take take extra with you. Okay,
0: but now tell me this because if I get a if I get a standard round pizza, by the way, Vegas has a lot of good pizza places sure. that are not like um they're not drive across town to get to them good but they're really really fucking good like I I use
4: Brooksy's right I love Brooksy's pizza he used to work I, for us <laughs> I know he did right and
0: that's probably why the crust is so spot on but I, I really dig theirs but if I get a Brooksy's and I'm up late and whatever we're watching a movie smoking some weed I don't know whatever and I go to bed I just throw the box in the fridge and it's fine the next day. I could reheat that. When I get one of your Sicilian, it's almost like I have to wrap it up in in saran wrap because I feel like Sicilian doesn't hold up in the fridge the next day. So unless you unless you worry about how tightly sealed it
4: is, am I wrong on that? Is this just my own thing? Uh, you know, I don't know. I always I wrap everything anyway. Okay. So, uh, I've never, I, I always think it's better the next day, to be honest with you. I, I love it the next day. I mean, I like it, but I do feel I have to be more worried about, like,
0: throwing it in some Tupperware or something, right? Whereas yeah, maybe. I'll just throw, like, a big old New York round style. I'll just throw it in there and grab it the next day, and that's fine. There's nothing maybe it's wrong just, with just that. me flashing back to my college days, and that's how I used to eat it. I don't know, man. Yeah. Um... Who is
4: in town for this that you're most excited about seeing? Um, I heard, I don't know if he's here yet, but Andrew Bellucci. uh, I got to meet him in August. Uh, His pizzeria in Queens, like, it's just so beautiful. And, like, the way he makes pizza is really beautiful. He's a a really good soul, a good person. So I'm excited to see him again and see if I can spend, like, a little bit more time with him. Um, I've seen there's a guy... um, Luis uh, that I just met. We've talked on Instagram a ton because he has a pizzeria in Rochester, so I'm from Binghamton, so not too far away. You know, we FaceTimed when he was opening, but I actually got to meet him face-to-face just like a couple minutes ago, so that was really cool. Um, you know, just tried uh, to see everybody that I didn't get to see in August, and some people I haven't seen in two years, you know? So um, it's hard to probably pinpoint that. There's so many people I could, I could be here for 20 minutes <laughs> probably rattling everyone yeah, out. that's cool.
0: Um, Okay, let me ask you this. People come to Las Vegas for pizza. I mean, honestly, you know, I just finished my neon feast app. Everybody get that. It's very important. But, um, you know, and I was looking at my pizza list. There's about 12 places on there, and I think it's a really solid list. But I could also see some that didn't make it onto that list that people would say, you have to go to this place, you have to go to that. For you, somebody's coming to town. They want a real good tour of Vegas pizza. Three spots on that list that they need to go, and I know you'll get in trouble for not naming ten, but three. Yeah. And I'm going to take Metro out of it because that's yeah. just the Mac Daddy. You got to go to Metro,
4: and you got to go to the one that you're at, way up <laughs> in the northwest. But that's the that's the one I really want to go to. But I tell other than that, three places. Yeah, I love Pop Up. I love everything that Mike does. you know I think his pizzas fantastic. That's where I go to eat pizza. I love it. Uh, I just love being there and I think I think it's really a like an unsung hero of the city. I, you know not a, enough people talk about it. Yeah. It's really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pizza you know okay, and, pop up yeah. Uh, you know, and that, by the way,
2: pop up in the Plaza Hotel. Yeah, where Rich does a podcast. On the That's corner right. Of Main beautiful. We uh, <laughs> haven't done it for pop up. We always do it at Oscars. I gotta tell them that let's do it at pop up. Yeah,
4: and then I, you know you got to go see Vincent. I think I think what he does is, is special too. Mr. Rotolo, goodbye yeah. on Main Street. And then let's see number three. Let me see. How am I gonna end this? <laughs> I mean I wouldn't shy away. From the pizza esters you know i think i had that corn pudding pizza that he had i have not had that man i still think about it i when i (laughs) ate that i text james i'm like bro we need to talk (laughs) because i need this like in my life like a lot more and i i think that was really a a beautiful pizza that one stuck with me i think it was probably two years ago that i had that and i think about it quite a bit yeah so i would tell people definitely check them out um, you know, UConn is fantastic. I think what they're doing is really, really great and special. Um, that's four. And UConn,
0: so. yeah, and UConn's great. UConn is an amazing story. If people aren't familiar with them, they're in, um, right now they're in Vegas Test Kitchen. And it's like a 110-year-old starter that he has something that, like, wild, his yeah. grandfather willed to him or something. <laughs> a guy that used to be in the uh, movie industry found himself with nothing to do during the pandemic, started making pizza in his backyard. Yeah. Um, And then expanded it, wanted to do it, expanded it over to Vegas Test Kitchen, which is a tremendous Las Vegas space. If people aren't familiar with it, and now they're going into the Hunt Ridge, and yeah. they're going to have a brick and mortar, which is a you know just totally cool. I told what a great story. I was trying to get comedian Tom Papa to go there when he was in
4: town because he's big on um, on that, that yeast culture that's going. I on. actually had Alex's Pizza at Market in the Alley when he just had that tiny oven that he could cook one pizza at a time. Oh wow! Um, I don't know how probably four years ago, and uh, to see where he's gone from there to now is really amazing, uh, really beautiful.
0: Any trends you're expecting to see? Anything big? Or is, is vegan still big? Is gluten-free still big? Is there something else that I haven't heard about?
4: You know, out big? front, I was making a plant-based chorizo. I'm using this pea. Uh, the main ingredient is pea protein. It's called From Happy Little Plants. I did a plant-based chorizo, uh, roasted pineapple, citrus-pickled onions, Mike's Hot Honey. So I think, uh, like, the meat alternatives are going to be really big still. Um, probably gluten free still you know I think people are really into that' kind of it 's really mainstream now, it, where it was before it was like you know it really isn 't there, but I think people ask for it, but I think the meat alternatives are big, you know, and the way that they 've advanced and developed in the past couple years, like people they had no idea that I was serving them a, a plant based protein. they had no idea
0: so just to remind people, Chris Decker, you can get his amazing pizza at any of the metro pizza locations you're usually up in skypoint right yeah yeah skypoint how many locations does metro have and run them down for everybody because metro by the way if you're watching at home and you don't know metro pizza um chris's mentor is it fair to call john arena a partner mentor um all kinds of is, is sort of the godfather of Vegas pizza, oh, one yeah. of America's foremost pizza experts. He's been making great pizza in Vegas for 20-some, 30-some years. 40,
4: over 40 years. Over 40 years, yeah. wow. June 1st, 1980 is when we started. Wow.
0: Okay, so and in the days when Vegas was a pizza
4: wilderness, Metro was the place to go. Yeah. So you have how many locations? To tell people where they are. So Sky Point and Cimarron, Flamingo and Decatur, Chop in Maryland, uh Sunset Stephanie, uh, the airport. Yeah. The convention center, Ellis Island. Yeah. That's it for now. Finally, before
0: we wrap up this bonus episode, the Pizza Expo is an international event. So there were plenty of out of towners at the conference and at Tony's party one we spoke with was Michael Mercurio of Mercurio's pizza in Pittsburgh Tony recommended we chat with him and it was a great conversation about Neapolitan pizza that I'm excited to share with you
5: how are you sir and tell me a bit about um, about what you do in Pittsburgh oh I am very well very happy to be here um, I know Tony from the World Pizza Champions and uh, so he was the, the uh, what's say the uh, the captain of the team if you will and uh, But I'm from Pittsburgh and I've been in Neapolitan Pizza for about 12 years now, and that's what we do. We specialize in Neapolitan Pizza in Pittsburgh, and uh, uh, we have two restaurants Mercurio's uh, Pizza and Gelato.
0: And for people who don't know, doing proper Neapolitan pizza, man, that is more than just a style, it's almost a religion, right? I mean, there are like, government agencies in italy and shit that certify that you do it right could you explain what it what it means to make a proper neapolitan pizza
5: yes so they is it's a very accurate to put it we we have to use a wood-fired oven. Hold on one sec. Are we okay on his mic? Because I was having a little
0: trouble here. Yeah, I just have to keep turning you up. Okay, turn me up. Sorry about that. Yeah, yours, okay. Go ahead. yeah, yeah.
5: So we, we, need, we need a wood-fired oven. I think uh, over the past, that I've seen the past five plus years, the leniency on gas to wood-fired pizza oven ratio has gone up. You can use a little gas, but, but wood is what we use and only wood. No electricity, no wo- uh, gas. But uh, the, the, the flour you must use must be imported, must be certified, must be a double zero type. Uh, there are different brands from Italy, not just one. Um, the tomatoes as well. Uh, the cheese you can make your own or uh, buy, but uh, the cheese is, there's, there's a. You not can't really, really a import a lot of that. that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there, there are a lot of things in uh, and, and how, you, how you make it, how you prepare it. Double-zero
2: flour, it. does it have to be from Italy or can to be from uh, Alberta?
5: Yes, yes, Italy, yes. Okay. yes. Uh, and the thing is, I... Well, I what is, could you just explain,
0: because you know we're a general interest food podcast, right? Double-zero flour, what's that mean
5: exactly? So, double-zero flour is is like, it's, it's an ultra-fine fl- flour. Now, the best way I can describe it is if you take... Well, let's say an all-purpose flour and rub it through your fingers you can feel how coarse it is but if you take double zero flour and rub it in your other hand it's so smooth it's like almost like baby powder in, in a way so that's one way I can subscribe it to a, uh, someone who doesn't work with it who might not know much about it right
0: okay and we talk. you talk about it having to be wood fired in order to be um, a Neapolitan Again, I, I like to, a lot of times I like to go, especially we're in a room full of all experts. Everybody knows this stuff like the back of their hands, but the average person at home who just loves pizza. They don't really know what goes into making it. How hard is it? How much more difficult is it to maintain a consistent temperature and a consistent cook on a wood-fired oven than it is compared to a gas or
5: an electric or any of the other fuels we may have? That's a great question. I, I literally battle this this uh, every day on, on my oven that I've been working on for over 12 years, still every day is a competition because if uh, this, it all comes down to such little variables with the size of the wood that you use, the, the, the quality, the cleanliness. Sometimes you get wood with mud on it or something, dirt. Uh, it, it, it burns differently. Different types of wood burn differently. So the, the, the heat of the oven, the flame, fluctuates constantly yeah. and if you're cooking with uh, five pizzas in and out of the oven every every two to three minutes because neapolitan pizzas cook in one minute one to 90 60 to 90 seconds right so if if you're cooking five pieces at once it sucks so much heat out of the oven uh so you need to add more wood correct but with too much flame, you are burning crusts, and then the bottom of the pizzas don't cook. So uh, <laughs> there, you you every day is something new that you have to uh, you, you adapt to the how how the oven is performing, and I think that's yeah. that's kind of like the Neapolitan pizza is that uh, you, you kind of react how the oven is uh, tempered that day. And we live in such a, a factory
0: control world, and everything is you know run by. The Google cloud in the sky is deciding everything, right? And I think people forget the artisanship that goes. You know, there's a reason we call things artisanal, and the the artistry just of keeping the temperature right, of of doing it right, but yet. When it's done right, you can taste the difference. Absolutely. You know? But for so many people that just see, they just hear wood-fired or coal-fired or whatever, they, they almost think it's just a marketing term, and they don't realize that it, it really demonstrates a mastery of your art form to be able to handle the wood just to keep it at the right temperature.
5: Yeah, no, that is exact, exactly right, because you, anyone can say wood-fired pizza and it's, or brick oven. You hear brick oven pizza a lot. And... Uh, it, it all comes down to that versus the ingredients that you use, but also uh, the technique and, and the, uh, well, whatever, the flour, the dough, it the tools, the tools as well. And uh, with Neapolitan pizza, you're working at such a fast pace because the oven temperature is about, 800 degrees to 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's like the proper temperature you want to cook wow. at. So these pieces cook in about not 60, 90 seconds. Like Gosh. I said, so um, that's uh, it's very hard to train. You're not born with that <laughs> knowledge. Right. So, yeah.
2: speaking of 800 degrees, there was a uh, I think it was a two-store chain here in town a few years ago, eight years ago, called 800 Degrees. They had one at the old Monte Carlo on the Strip. And their quality kind of came and went a little bit, I think with popularity. And that, as I recall, brought the whole Neapolitan thing a little more top of mind. Was that sort of a blessing or a curse to have a place like that that's making Neapolitan famous or Neapolitan style, but maybe not doing it as consistency, consistently as you'd like?
5: I think, I, and I was at that, uh, that oh, okay. restaurant. I, I stopped there uh, probably like, what was it? Three to 2014. Four, is yeah, it was four or five years ago, I was there. Um, i talked to a few people who were working so when in neapolitan pizza th- they care a lot about the toppings as well yeah and, i was and, just about and, to say that yeah. place was like build your own it was chipotle for pizza run-in. yeah, yeah. To- to- toppings are a very sensitive um, topic when when it comes to the italians and then pizza so even in my own restaurant now i'm, I'm gonna <laughs> surprise a lot of people i don't carry pepperoni pepperoni is not a topping in uh, my restaurants because pepperoni means like red pepper pep- like small peppers like, right. uh, we carry salami uh, we carry uh, spicy sopressata, things like that stuff from Naples yes pepperoni's yeah, it, not it, from it, Naples por- yeah, yeah yeah they, they don't I mean the the new modern day pizza maker pizzaiolo in, in italy might throw like little uh like cups Cup of, of shark. Yeah, <laughs> and some 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 meat of cured meat but uh they want to make it look like pepperoni but pepperoni is not a very popular item and yeah i don't think i've ever had pepperoni
0: in a legit neapolitan pizzeria
5: no they don't carry it in, in, in fact one of the the top rated pizza restaurants in in the world is uh, in Naples, and they only have two pizzas. This is a marinara, sauce, oregano, and garlic, and then a margarita, which is cheese and basil and sauce. Right. Just two pizzas.
0: Um, remind me, man, and I'm going to feel stupid for not knowing this off the top of my head, but Lombardi's in New York City, is that is that a proper Neapolitan pizzeria, or no? No, sir. Okay. No, but, sir, but it is very good, though, I have yeah. Lombardi's. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's been about 25 years since I've eaten there, so my apologies. <laughs> That was, you know, I used to make pizza in New York City, used to make the worst pizza in New York City was made by me and my coworkers at CBGB Pizza. It was attached to the punk rock club and we were wasted all the time and we were only making it for
5: <laughs> heroin addicts and drunks who were in there to watch I used to punk, be punk rock shows. I was a <laughs> punk rock drummer for for a couple years. Yeah, that I, punk rock drummer and then turned into a heavy metal drummer. Cool. That's I me. was a heavy metal guy that then got a job at CBGB's and became punk rock. So, but yeah,
0: I used to flip pies, for, um, and it was horrible. And then we'd go to Lombardi's for good pizza because nobody
5: wanted to eat mine. Well, I did all my training in New York City on Bleecker Street. So uh, oh, okay. Uh, have you ever heard of Castay? From Roberto Capuruccio. I learned, that's where he, he taught me everything I know about Neapolitan pizza. No, but I was,
0: you know, I was a young um, law student by day, you know, punk rocker by night in those days. I didn't eat it a lot of quality ones. I was a um, raised 6th Avenue guy. There's a raise on 6th Avenue right at the... Because I worked on 14th... I, I lived on 14th and 5th. I would go down to 6th and I'd head downtown. So probably around 11th and 6th, there was a, a really good raise that I liked a lot. But I mean, it was just ridiculous amount of cheese on that. It was like, you could never... Yeah,
5: it was... <laughs> yeah. Some, some, it was like to the point where like too much cheese was like too much. Yeah. And then St. Mark's Pizza was still around back in those days. St.
0: Mark's was where they but um you'd have the pizza would be made beforehand and then you'd order it and you'd order your toppings and they'd just take a handful of pepperoni and they'd throw it on your slice like your cold slice <laughs> that's been sitting out handful of pepperoni yeah, yeah, yeah. throw it on the slice and then handful of mozzarella cheese throw it on top of the pepperoni throw it back in the oven pull it out and that was
2: your St. mark people
5: would describe that as good pizza i don't know i don't <laughs> know how they do it how many drank a lot it,
2: it sold well I remember going to a place that was around next to a junior high on the Upper East Side, like 74th, 75th would be third and second. And it was impossible to get in there because all those kids would go there for lunch. They didn't know, but cause they're Upper East Side public school kids, not the private school kids. I'm getting a little too in the weeds here, I know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> about about that stuff. But, you know, hey, I'm in New York. It's pizza. It must be good. Or yeah. go to the Rays across the street on 3rd. Yeah, so, There
0: is definitely, there's a lot of bad New York pizza. But I mean, you know, the people are crazy to think there isn't, but I do think For street slices, New York is a great city. That your average slice from the street, that you can just buy one slice at a time and get it in a minute and eat it on the go. Of the cities I've been in, which are not every city in the world, but of the cities I've been in, that's the place I want to get a street slice. It is probably gonna be on average better than in most other
5: cities. Oh, certainly. I mean, even, even myself, I've been in the biz for 12 years doing a particular style, which is Neapolitan, I, I get the, the question a lot is, do you eat other pizza? And I, <laughs> of course I do. Of course I go and visit other places. I get the uh, Detroit style. I get regular New York style slices in Pittsburgh. But um, Does Pittsburgh have a style? And I should ask my brother. He went to Duquesne. Um, but I don't think we've ever had this conversation. I don't, I don't think so. But uh, I know a buddy of mine has uh, Detroit style that... He, he came into the picture, uh, I don't want say like five, six years ago, um, really turned heads. It, he he uh, definitely started a, a culture there for Detroit-style pizza, uh, at Ironborn Pizza. Um, but uh, I know what Pittsburgh lacks. And, I mean, if anyone would walk in there and open up these pizza places, and I have a couple friends who do it personally at home who could really suc- be successful at yeah. it and uh, that is a Sicilian slice. If you want someone who knows a lot about Sicilian pizza, Sicilian style, Pittsburgh does not have enough of it. Cool. Well, this is,
2: no, no, all due respect to Pittsburgh, this is the place where they put french fries in the sandwich. Oh my God, we don't even <laughs> want to go there. Criamonte <laughs> brothers. <We> <laughs> yeah. Let's well, I, I think I heard him. <laughs> Let's talk about why everybody
0: is in town. It's the Pizza Expo. Could you explain to people what that represents
5: for the community, what the Pizza Expo is all about? So the Pizza Expo is a way to, there's multiple things. One, it's, it's vacation away from work, where you meet all your friends every year, but two, uh, when I first started coming here back in like 2013, I think that the learning you can can uh, can absorb all the information that they have here in the seminars and some of the, the, the demonstrative speeches with uh, with like how to make dough, anything, anything you need to learn about pizza in any environment too, outside, inside your home, at a restaurant, th- anything you can learn happens here at the Pizza Expo. And everyone here is always about sharing information, which is how people succeed and how they grow their their personal uh, endeavor or a professional endeavor. So
0: does it feel like it's back in its, in, I know yet, and we haven't opened up the floor of the Expo yet, but you know, the last Expo felt a little reserved to me, right? And I mean, you know, I'm not in, uh, of your world, but I've been around it enough last time didn't feel as
5: much of a party just feeling like what what's going on right now here i feel like pizza expo is back in a big way absolutely i was here in august whenever uh, the pizza expo it was it was i wouldn't even say it was a quarter of the size it normally is this year just by seeing some of the people already here at pizza rock yeah. i know it's already better because the restrictions are a little bit uh yeah yeah, Yeah. they're they're eased a little bit so i know uh it's gonna be a lot bigger and better yeah i mean i don't
0: want to be one of these you know whatever whiners that says you can't have fun with the mask on you know like whatever you you got to do what we got to do to stay safe But when the goal is to walk around eating things and drinking things nonstop on the expo floor, having to take your mask off each time, it just wasn't,
5: I wasn't stuffing my face, you know? I I know, but this year it would be a little bit different. When you have two slices of different pizza in your hand, nothing else in the world matters at that time.
0: And that's about it for this Leftovers episode. Thanks to Rich Johnson for doing all of the hard work behind the mixing board. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, stay hungry.